And welcome back into the Bama podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with my co-host, Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, man. What's up? Not much. I remember I, I remember my name this morning. You did. Good start. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're, we're alive and well so far. Yeah, we're, we're rolling now. We're, we're absolutely <laughs> ready to rock. Well, yesterday we talked a little Alabama, Georgia. Recap that, or I guess it was, was it, it was the day before yesterday. Excuse me. Today's Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. I had to, I had to reschedule on you the last second. I forgot. Um, yeah, so podcast host. Say what? Just a terrible podcast host. How dare you? I really feel like that it it is very hard to lock down these times sometimes. I, I do apologize to anybody that was on the, the lookout for the Alabama-Tennessee preview podcast on Tuesday. It is Wednesday. We're getting in here. We're getting this done. Went ahead and knocked out the, the, the Pick'em podcast with Hunter and Cecil. Got to go factor in all the results and see where everybody stands. I've been kind of working my way through it a little bit. I know for me, it's not great. Uh, I'm currently sitting at 17, 22 and one. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling. I would love to get back over 500, but so far out of the people that I've calculated, Cecil is the only one that's sitting above 500. Uh, and, well, and he's on- I, I highly doubt I'm going to be the one that changes that trend. So, well, Hunter is one game ahead of me. Uh, he's 18, whatever it is. And I'm drawing a blank on what his record 18, 20 and one, maybe, I don't know. There's been 40 games picked. I don't know what the overall exact records are. I don't have them sitting in front of me, but I just know it hadn't been good. And even for Cecil, Cecil last year, I want to say he was picking like 60% or something. He was crushing it and he's only one game over 500. So crazy college football season, but now it's, uh, it isn't, it's the third Saturday in October, but it's not the third Saturday in October. We're just going to keep calling it that. Uh, and Alabama, Tennessee. So, Brett, give me your initial thoughts on the upcoming game between Alabama and the Vols. Dude, we need to, we need to kill the third Saturday in October thing. Like, <laughs> it, it, why? Why? Like, in, in, in normal times, I get it. You're you're trying to schedule a bunch of things together. Maybe maybe you can make it happen. Maybe not. Whatever. It's annoying, but it happens. This year, we cut the schedule from scratch. There were there was no dealing with everything else. All the dates were moved around. Like Auburn and Georgia played in September this year, or, or, or maybe early October, whatever the actual date was. Like so many things got shifted around and tinkered with and messed with nothing was beholden to anything or anyone. If we can't get the freaking game played on the third Saturday in October this year of all years, then we just need to find something else to name this rivalry because the SEC (laughs) just isn't, they're just not going to do it. If you're not going to do it this year, you're not going to do it ever straight up. And I haven't went and looked, but it's been a while, uh, at least a couple of years, few years, since it's actually been the third Saturday in October, yeah, right? They, they randomly got it on the third Saturday in October once, somewhat recently, I, I feel like. But it was it was one random game in like a several-year stretch of it not being on the third Saturday in October. Just, oh, it drives me crazy. I hate it. Yeah, I, I, you're all about not that. Uh, but with it being... The fourth Saturday in October, 
How does that change things for you, Brett? You feeling better? You feeling worse? What are, what are your, some of your thoughts on how you think this game's going to go? Well, uh, having, having watched what Tennessee against Kentucky last week did against Kentucky last week definitely changes my, my opinion. Um, we, we will get to that in a second, but first I, I need to go back to the previous episode because – not no more than like 20 minutes after we talked about Dylan Moses and his start to the season, Nick Saban said this. I thought he played extremely well in this last game. He showed great leadership, really helped the other players play well. I think it was by far his best game in terms of execution, doing what he was supposed to do. I feel like this will maybe get him confident, physically confident, emphasis on that one, so that he can continue to play well and perform well. But I thought he played extremely well in this game. And I, I tweeted out the quote, and that was a mistake because the, the mentions uh, latched onto that one. And, and I got a tweet from someone this morning asking that we kind of dive into the the hidden meaning of, of that quote. So, I, I mean, I feel like our opinion of, of Dylan Moses' start to the season is, is pretty – pretty well known at at this point do you reconsider it at all upon hearing that quote or do you assume what most of Alabama not most of a a decent number of Alabama football Twitter is assuming is kind of a lift of confidence to to Dylan in hopes that he can kind of lift Dylan up to be what he can be based on his physical confidence in the knee that's a hundred percent what I think it is. Me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I what I, you know, Nick Nick Saban's playing chess. You know, he he understands how to motivate guys. He understands how to discipline guys. Uh, he just, you know, there's very few times you're going to catch Nick Saban being uh, put in a position where he's saying the wrong thing about a player and he's having a hurtful effect on him. Uh, he didn't really criticize players individually, uh, publicly. Um, so you wouldn't expect him to come out and say, well, I just don't think Dylan Moses is playing very good right now. You know, he would more so say, I think that position is kind of struggling. We got to get more of this or more of that from it. But I think right now he understands that Dylan Moses would still take that and, and it could further hurt his confidence in the way that he's playing. We all know watching it on tape, he's not playing his best football. He's not I wouldn't say that he's been terrible, but he hadn't been, you know, even uh, even remotely close to what he's been in the past. And, and that's somewhat to be expected to some degree, but it's worse than we kind of thought that it was or would be. And and that's something that Dylan's got to correct. And that granted, I don't know what it's like coming back from a, a major knee and injury. I don't know what it's like protecting my, my draft stock as much as possible. And I've got millions of dollars. Milan based off of the decisions that I make and the risk that I take um, on a week to week basis. So for me to hop up here and say, oh, man, you just got to play better. You got to play more confidently. You got to get back to who you were. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of unfair for me to, to rule. But what we do know is that he hadn't been the same caliber of player. And it was good to see Nick Saban say those things about him uh, to try to build that confidence up, remind him that he's kind of that guy. Uh and, and you know we'll see how he responds moving forward, but at this point it does, none of it seems physical. He's still the same player physically, or, or at least you know ninety ninety five percent at the very least in my opinion. 
as what he was pre-injury. It's all mental, and it's this mental block that he's got to work and get past. And I, I, I do think that he he did some good things against Georgia, and I'm hoping that those few good things, and you get some, you know, that your coach points out that he felt like it was your best game, and you start saying, okay. Uh, you know, maybe I'm starting to get my legs back under me. Things are starting to feel a little bit better. I'm getting more confident. And you start trending back in that direction is what, you know, Alabama fans have to hope is happening right now. But there's still I, plenty of things to clean up. I agree. I, I think uh, the the use of the phrase physically confident tells you everything you need to know. I, I, I think that was pretty, pretty telling. Uh, the, the rest of it, was kind of speaking in in vague terms uh but when he went out of his way to use the phrase physically confident i think that tells you everything you you need to know um which shouldn't be a surprise because saban has a history of using the media to communicate with his players more than to communicate with the public which is fine he's it's it is what it is but uh, it shouldn't surprise anyone that something like that would would come. And since there's no room for middle ground in the hashtag discourse, everything on Twitter is is either this guy sucks or the people who think this guy sucks are stupid. There there is no middle ground in there. There's been good and bad with with Dylan. You you kind of hinted at it and what you were saying. How there there have been some plays that where he, he looked good. He has had some moments where he's pursued with the aggressiveness that he pursued in 2018. And, and you see him pop on your screen and say, Oh, there's, there's Dylan Moses. I forgot he was on the field for the last 10 plays or, or whatever. And then there are times where he just disappears for 10 consecutive defensive snaps at a time, which is kind of atypical for someone of his incredible talent level. Um, so I'm I'm also assuming that that was kind of a a hope to to build up Dylan's confidence a little bit and and see what see what they can accomplish in in that regard going forward. Now let's turn our attention to the upcoming game. I wrote about this on TieSports.com. It posted Tuesday morning, so it's it's still relatively easily accessible on the site if you go check it out. Do you do you remember that the Tennessee game last year was actually kind of close? Yes. It, it it's shocking how few people remember that. And I get it. Like this the final score was 35 to 16 and I'm sure everything uh, everybody blacked out after Trayvon Diggs took that pick up six for 100 yards and um uh, well uh, either blacked out or lit their lit, lit their victory cigar probably a, a blend of both. Um and the rivalry itself has been so one-sided for so long that it's it's hard to, to remember any specific game where it's kind of close. But on the play that Trayvon Diggs took it back for 100, Tennessee was within one yard of making it a one-possession game. If, if Jarrett Garantano either doesn't go rogue with that quarterback sneak or he's successful in said quarterback sneak, Tennessee scores, they kick the extra point. It's a 28-20 to 20 game with like seven minutes and something seconds left. So I, I went back and looked at that game and, and realized and tried to figure out how they did it. A big part of it was Jarrett Garantano on third down. He was nails on, on third down. Jarrett Garantano could very well lose his starting job 
And Tennessee has one of the worst third down offenses in the nation. They're converting 26.4% of the time. For comparison, last year, Akron had the worst third down offense in the nation at 26.38%. The year before that, Rice was the worst in the nation at 28.7%. In 2017, Charlotte was the worst at 26%. In 2016, Tulane was the worst at almost 28%. So it's it's only a four-game sample size, and a lot of people have made the joke that, that Bama's defense is, is pretty good at turning bad third-down offenses into good third-down offenses, which it's it's too early to, to say one way or the other. But to date, Tennessee is performing on offense third-down-wise in a, in a consistent manner with the worst third-down offenses in the country over the last at least four years. And the quarterback who was running those third-down conversions, he might start on Saturday. He might not. He's committed six turnovers in the last two games. So who's to say? What I will say um, is it's interesting because – you know, the, the, the big selling point for Jarrett Garantano early in the season was that he wasn't going out there and putting games on his back and winning Tennessee football games, but he wasn't losing them football games either because he wasn't really turning the ball over. Um, and in the last couple of weeks, you're right, you know, uh, at least six turnovers from him in the last two weeks, uh, and, and including a couple of pick sixes that, that ultimately was able to create the gap really early in fact, I think it was 0-0 when those two pick sixes were thrown, and that puts you down 14 points. And now Kentucky gets to pin play, continue to play very good defensively the last couple of weeks. But I, I just this Tennessee offense, as good as they are at a lot of different spots, first of all, defensively, Tennessee's pretty good. And what's happened the last few weeks is really not the defense's fault because when your your offense is throwing a couple of pick sixes and putting you in a hole to where um, you know the opposing team can kind of take momentum and control that puts you at a disadvantage when when the offense is also you know committing other turnovers including other interceptions from from Garantano and from uh, J T Shrout and guys who are coming in that continues to put you know, the defense in bad situation. So I think this Tennessee defense is pretty good. I think the offensive line for Tennessee is very good, even though a little bit inconsistent. They really struggled moving Georgia in the run game a couple of weeks ago. That's one of the big reasons they ran for negative yardage in that game. But the running backs there in Tennessee, you got a nice little one-two punch. I think there's two issues right now in Knoxville, and it's the quarterback position, and it's the weapons surrounding the quarterback um, you know, Josh Palmer is a, a good receiver. There's not much established around him that where that you could say, okay, we can rely on this guy, or rely on that guy. The tight end position's been very mediocre. And Woods was their tight end last year. He graduated, and you know whether it be from a, po- a pass blocking standpoint or whatever, the tight ends just haven't really performed well for Tennessee up to this point. And so. You know, even though you got a good offensive line and a good run game, or you should have a good run game when things are on, for Garantano, it's a, anybody is going to attack Tennessee the same way Georgia did, and the same way you know, really Kentucky didn't even really have to because Garantano made a couple of mistakes early. But is you want to 
sell out for the run, make them one-dimensional, much in the same way that Alabama tried to do with Georgia last week, and and see if the quarterback can beat you. And Garantano, up to this point, has not been the guy that can. That's probably what you're going to see this weekend from Alabama, and it's one of the big reasons why it's very hard for me to find any sort of you know a, a, any sort of major positive for Tennessee. Is I think that even though Alabama's defense has struggled to some degree, I think that they're good enough to try to make Tennessee one-dimensional. And if that happens, if they can successfully do that, they did not do that in the first half against Georgia. I'll put that out there. If Tennessee can establish the run and can move guys in the run game and do all that they need to do, then it bodes well for Tennessee to be able to do execute their game plan, um, You know, not to a point of maybe winning, but to a point of keeping it close. But if they're not able to do that in the same way they weren't able to against Georgia – this thing could get ugly really, really quick. And, and Alabama your, could continue to force turnovers and, and stuff like that. To your point about the the lack of perimeter playmakers that, that Tennessee has on the offensive side, uh, would you put it out of the question that even if Tennessee can run the ball, they don't have the pass game to take advantage of that? Because no, I'm, I'm looking, at looking at the numbers from, from last year, they lost three of their top four receivers. They lost Jawan Jennings, Marquez Callaway, the tight ends, Dominic Wood Anderson. Those three guys, just those three guys alone, accounted for 65% of Tennessee's receiving yards last year and 15 of their 19 receiving touchdowns last year. Like they they lost basically all of their good pass catchers last year. Josh Palmer had a Halfway decent year last year, 457 yards, a touchdown on 34 catches, and he's back. He's got three of Tennessee's four receiving touchdowns right now, but with no one around them, around him, and if he's your number one guy, even if you're able to run the ball some, do you have the threats to make Bama pay for it on the perimeter? No, and that's been the the big issue. I, I completely agree. Uh, they just they lost everybody uh, essentially from their passing game last year, and they haven't had the guys they needed to step up and replace those players. And Josh Palmer's done everything that he can, but you know you can do different things to kind of take him out of the equation. And they haven't had anybody that's been consistently able to step up and provide big playability. Brandon Johnson is their number two guy right now. Their number three. Uh, as far as receptions and receiving yards and a second on the team and receiving touchdowns is Eric Gray, you know, you're one of your running backs and that's the sort of issue that they're dealing with right now. And so it's just, it's, it's tough because they, I mean, at this point they have to establish the run game. That's the only chance they have. If they can't establish the run and they got to try to sling it around, keeping up with Alabama's offense, they have to play good defense too, by the way. Um, if they want to keep this thing close, play as good of defense as you possibly can uh, to, to limit what Alabama is able to do. You're not going to stop them completely, but just limit, get a couple of wins, a couple of stops and hope that your offense is able to establish a run game, chew clock to keep that Alabama offense off the field as much as possible and, and finish drives with, with touchdowns. You can't, you can't settle for field goals in games like this. You can't, uh, you know, go three and out a bunch of times or not convert on third downs and, to your point about the third down offense for Tennessee, Alabama's third down defense, you know, sits down there at 68th in the country out of 77 teams right now. So they're them on third downs, they're averaging allowing over 50 percent 
conversion rate to opposing offenses. And so they haven't been great third downs, but this should be a game for Alabama. They should be able to put up a much more respectable number. And if they can't do that, then, you know, this will be one of those games where you say, okay, they still probably end up winning big, but it's a major concern. The fact that Alabama continues to not be able to get off the field on third downs. And to Alabama's credit, their their season third down numbers are still pretty pretty dragged down by how they started the season. They were they had a really good second half against Georgia in, in that regard. Now they, they still gave up eight for sixteen, ten for seventeen, and nine for seventeen uh in the first three games. So that's fifty, fifty-eight point eight and fifty-two point nine percent. Um so so one half against Georgia isn't gonna fix those things for the the season long numbers but if if that second half against Georgia carries over to to Tennessee that that would that would continue uh, an encouraging trend from uh, from Alabama's defense in, in that regard I, I think the only other thing I have to add on this matchup for when Tennessee has the ball is I'd like to shout out their junior tight end Princeton Fant fantastic name. Yeah, absolutely. He's for 20 yards this year. Um, and he is actually uh, Tennessee. Uh, and this is going off CFBstats.com. So maybe some of these other guys are play like tight ends and are just listed as wide receivers for, for whatever reason. But according to CFBstats.com, Tennessee has two tight ends that have caught passes. Both of them have only had two catches this year, Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren. So if, if a Tennessee tight end catches a pass in this game, there's a halfway decent chance the dude on the receiving end of it is named Princeton Fant. Pretty exciting stuff, too. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, and what I'll add as far as the, the game is concerned, and this is why I have a hard time, uh, What the things I liked about Alabama last week, you have to like about them this week, but just even more so. Because there's actually a, a lot of similarities between Georgia and Tennessee as far as where they're good and where they're struggling, except for Georgia's just better at everything. Uh, it, they're they're a plus version in, in every facet, but except for maybe the offensive line, I would venture to say that they're probably a little bit better than Georgia as far as their offensive line is concerned. Probably a, quite a bit better, but. Georgia's offensive line is still good, but you're talking about struggling play at the quarterback position. You're talking about not many proven weapons in the passing game, and, and George Pickens is supposed to be one of the top receivers in college football. He hadn't really been that this year to the degree that he needs to. Some of that's quarterback-related, some of it his own, you know, just not playing up to the standard that he set as a true freshman. Kind of established guy with Josh Palmer. Uh, George has got that established guy with George Pickens, but outside of that, nobody else that you can consistently rely on. Then you look defensively. The defense is really what carries the team. George has got one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, Tennessee does not have maybe one of the best, but they're one of the best in the SEC, in my opinion. And, you know, they, they just have an offense that much in the same way with Georgia can put their defense in bad situations and, and more so for, for Tennessee than Georgia at that point. And with the way that Georgia was able to manhandle Tennessee and the way that Alabama was able to manhandle Georgia that this does not always equate you know so so this isn't the you know a plus if a equals b and b equals c then a has to equal c kind of situation but I'll say that as far as the way that Tennessee is going to 
their strengths match up well, very well against, or excuse me, Alabama's strengths match up well against Tennessee, and their weaknesses cannot be exploited as much against Tennessee, much in the same way that Georgia was not able to exploit them as much. You make them one-dimensional as much as you can. You try to make Jarrett Garantano beat you with his arm. Uh, you make you know push the football deep, stretch you vertically. If he can't do that consistently, you're kind of in big trouble. And that's why ultimately in this game, um, you know, 21 points is the line right now, over under 66. So I guess that's a a a final score, you know, prediction of what 40, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 43 to 22 or something, 43 yeah. and a half. Yeah, so somewhere in the neighborhood of that. So I, I, I honestly don't think Tennessee's getting to 21. I could be wrong. Uh, Vegas obviously thinks you know that's where they're setting it at. Alabama's defense has been pretty poor, but Georgia put up 24. Uh, the second half they didn't put up any, and I think that the way that that defense was playing in the second half is the kind of defensive play you're going to get this weekend for four quarters. That doesn't mean that they're going to blank Tennessee. I just think that you know anywhere from 20, uh, to 14 to 17 would be kind of where I'd put Tennessee at, and I do think Alabama ultimately gets up in the 40s. So I think they win pretty darn big uh as, as much and i'm not you know this isn't i like to have fun on twitter and stuff and make jokes anytime i think of a little zinger i love throwing it just because i love the creative side of things but um i'm not trying to take shots at tennessee and, and and predict some kind of huge blowout in their garbage or anything like that it's just that's that's what i think is going to happen uh and we'll, we'll kind of see it was the same way with with georgia and i tried to be a lot nicer about it with georgia last week we both did because it's like, man, you just you, you kind of like things on paper, and you're like, I really kind of want to just say that I feel like they're going to beat them by double digit points, but then you're like, man, it's the top three team, you know, with the way, you know, you look at Alabama's offense, and they were supposed to be really good, you know, a couple of years, we're just against two in that first half, and man, I don't know, you, you start, you know, kind of questioning things, but here. There's just not a whole lot that I can point to Tennessee and like. So how do you feel about that 21-point line and the overall outcome of the game? I, 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 think, it's, I think it's pretty good, but I, I think Bama's going to cover it. The case for, for me, for Tennessee to cover the line, not necessarily to threaten to, to win the game because you need both sides of the ball to, to do that, but the, the case for Tennessee to cover – would be that their defense has been pretty disruptive this year. They aren't. They haven't been dominant, but they've been disruptive. And, and I imagine this is your kind of defense, Clint, because it's almost entirely reliant on linebackers. They have four linebackers who all have at least two tackles for a loss this season. Henry Toe Toe and DeAndre Johnson at five tackles for loss and three and a half tackles for a loss are both in the in the SEC right now. Kevon Bennett has two and a half and Roman Harrison has two. Uh, you're probably wondering when a defensive line gets into a defensive lineman gets into the picture and you're going to be waiting a minute, which is probably why Tennessee fired their defensive line coach over the weekend, which Jeremy Pruitt is now taking over duties on, on that side of the ball. I, I, I mean, in the picks podcast, people will, will learn. I put, I picked Bama to cover the 21 and, I, it's a good line. I think it's going to be close to that. But if Tennessee does cover the 21, I think it's because they have these disruptive linebackers, primarily Henry Toe Toe and DeAndre Johnson. 
that create just enough negative plays that, that get in the backfield just enough to stall out two or three drives that could be the difference between 34 points and 48 points. Yeah. Um, and, and that could certainly see that being an option. I, I just, I, the way I, I look at it is this, I look at that Tennessee defense and I say, man, it's pretty good. They should be able to get, you know, a couple of stops. And then I say, well, Georgia's defense is way better. And, and Alabama was still able to put up 41 points. And, and so I just, I keep, you know, granted just because you have success in one game does not automatically equate to having success in another. And it was a, an emotionally charged victory for Alabama. We saw it with Ole Miss after their loss to Alabama the week prior, they came out extremely flat against Arkansas. Um, you, you might see the exact same thing from Alabama where they just come out flat. And if that ends up being the case, that's something that you can't really, you know, predict It's it's very hard to predict that. Um, and so I'm not going to, I just got to assume based off of what shown, they'll continue to have the same amount of success. So without Emma, it's just, I don't see, even though I think Tennessee's got a good defense, I, I just don't see them being able to get the necessary stops to keep this even remotely close. I understand why some people would, because, you know, if Alabama and Georgia played 10 times, you know, it's possible maybe Georgia bounces back and gets more stops defensively to make it more of a contest, um, but I think that if, if Alabama ends up planning to play Georgia again in the SEC championship game, I think Georgia by that point is going to say, okay, we can't uh, adopt the, 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 the philosophy that we're going to be able to really stop them defensively. As good as we are defensively, we'll, might, we'll maybe get you know stops a third of the time. We've got to make some changes at other spots, preferably quarterback, to, to, to play keep up with this style of offense and then hope that our defense compared to their defense can get just enough stops to make the difference. Uh, Tennessee does not really have that luxury. They don't have that quarterback that you can go to to make them a lot better. And we don't know that Garantano uh, is going to be the starter against Alabama in this game, even, you know, based off of Jeremy Pruitt's comments. You know, it, is he done with, with Jarrett Garantano? Absolutely not was his response. I think he probably wants the veteran presence even though some people are calling for Harrison Bailey. You saw some good and some bad from him uh, against Kentucky when he finally did get a chance, and he just he's not ready. You know, He didn't have the, the typical offseason. Coaching staff doesn't really feel comfortable. Do you want to throw him out there against Alabama with all the pressure? You know, that, I don't know. So, but anyways, bottom line, I think that Alabama, every sign – outside of some things that you really can't predict points towards Alabama winning this game really big, at least in my opinion, if they don't win big, it'll be, you'll be able to point to something. Oh, uh, Alabama came out flat. They had a couple of, of, you know, just costly dumb turnovers early, dumb penalties to stall drives, um, things like that. And that, you know, if that ends up happening, you know, much in the same way, you know, George came out flat against Tennessee to start and Tennessee actually, I think went into halftime with the lead. But I just, unless Alabama's just having an off day offensively, I don't think they're going to be able to do that to Alabama enough to be able to go in any sort of lead or anything like that. So that's my thoughts on it. Uh, Brett, you got anything else? I, I want to take this to the, the macro of, of things because, uh, I mean, we're at a point where Alabama's won, it's 13 in a row now, right? Uh, yes. It's 13 in a row. I, almost everyone thinks it's about to be 14, and it, it's hard to say whether it'll get to 15 or not this this far away. But 
at this point, the the rivalry just doesn't move the needle, even regionally, much less nationally, because Tennessee hasn't been earnestly competitive in this game for a a really long time. The last year's um, instance, notwithstanding how, I mean, like when will this thing be competitive? Like if you, if you take a look at Tennessee's program and look at it from the big picture, how long do you think it could take for Tennessee to be genuinely competitive with, with Alabama? Cause I know Tennessee was the, the talk of the college football world for a couple of weeks there when they were, when they kind of organized all of their recruits to commit in in a pretty short order. So they were just shooting themselves up the recruiting rankings every couple of days. Um, And and Tennessee was back with, even though all the headlines were about guys who weren't going to be on campus for the most recent football season. And even then no guarantee that they'll actually be of impact. In, in their first football season. So is it is it realistic to think Tennessee can compete, can earnestly compete with Alabama before 2022 or 2023? Because uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're assuming that that recruiting class they're working on right now, most of those guys are going to hit, right? You're, you're, you're assuming that because they're highly rated recruits, they they tend to hit with a higher success rate than than not, and and Jeremy Pruitt does have a halfway decent uh, track record as a as a recruiter, uh, as does many of the as do many of the people on his staff. So you're assuming that their class of 2021 is a good one. So some of those guys make an impact in 2021, some of them don't, and their sophomore year or redshirt freshman by 2022, maybe they're at a point where they can at least look Alabama eye to eye, but even then you're, you're asking for, for a lot. So it might be more like 2023. It, it might be um, granted. It, I, if they're not competitive with Alabama by that point, that probably means they haven't been competitive with other teams similarly uh, to that point either. Uh, they're zero and seven right now under Jeremy Pruitt, as far as Georgia, Florida and Alabama are concerned. Ooh. And yeah, and so if you continue to have those same struggles against those three teams, I don't think Pruitt makes it that long. I think he's got to start winning some of these, you know, top rivalry games soon. And I'm not talking about Tennessee Auburn or or Tennessee South Carolina or anything like that. Their three main rivals are Georgia, uh, Auburn, or excuse me, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. And they they haven't won a single game against either one of those three teams uh, since uh, Jimmy Pruitt got there. And I don't think that's going to change. I think it's going to be 0 and 8 at the end of the end. But if if Harrison Bailey ends up being a prospect that hits, you know, a slow start, justifiably so. But if if he gets on track, becomes the starter next year, things go well. You're talking about you're losing Trey Smith for sure. Um, you know, but you're gonna ha- you're losing Brandon Kennedy for sure, the former Alabama transfer. But you're gonna have Cade Mays. You're going to have Darnell Wright. You're going to have Wanya Morris. You've been recruiting well. Your offensive line should be in pretty good shape. Running back situation should be fine. Hopefully by that point, better pass catchers, uh, more consistent, more you know, a lot deeper. They've got some talented kids. And then defensively, I think Pruitt's got them heading in the right direction there. And so as far as being competitive, 
I think they could be competitive with Alabama as soon as next year, potentially. There's a lot that can change both ways to, to, to make that sway one way or the other. But I think they have to be competitive, and that's the main reason. You know, Pruitt's got to, you know, he's got to figure something out. And I just don't think it's happening this year. And then, you know, you've already played Georgia and lost. And so you get Florida. Um, and and we'll kind of I don't that that's your last chance this year to get anything done in this season. So 2021, ha, you, you've got to start becoming more competitive, and I think they'll be in a better position. But I think that you make a fair argument and a fair case for it, it to be a little bit longer because typically it should take a little bit longer based off. And you know, as excited as we were about Tennessee and the heading following that rough two-game stretch in uh in 2019 to start the season against georgia state and byu they had they slowly started getting better and they weren't beating elite or great teams but they were beating the teams they were supposed to and now they're kind of back you know you've lost to georgia you're probably you lost to a kentucky team that you know i don't think it would have floored anybody if they would have lost but it's the way they lost 34 to 7 is just awful especially at home it's the first time i think in 17 tries if i'm not mistaken that kentucky has gotten a win in neyland stadium so yeah there's just there, there's a lot of question marks with this team and i don't know what that means but this weekend i just don't really see it looking good for them you, you make a good point that if if you take the more conservative route of things and and Tennessee really doesn't have the roster to look Alabama eye to eye until 2023 that Jeremy Pruitt might not be the dude coaching that roster because it's wild it's wild because he just got an extension right but like look at Texas A&M like they're in year three of the the Jimbo experiment and they came to Tuscaloosa hoping for some some reason for optimism some some reason to believe that it's going to go in the right direction and, it, and it's working. And, and our, our friends in college station is crazy. It's the folks up in Tennessee. Accurate. So if, 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 if Pruitt needs until 2023 to, to get up to speed, the, the folk in Tennessee are not that patient with their balls. Already starting to get frustrated. And, uh-huh. and, and to a lot of their credit, when they lost to Georgia state and BYU last year, I was shocked. And how many people were, were Tennessee fans were so supportive of Jeremy, but were, there were some people that were already on the train of, you know, fire him. They were mad, but a significant majority of the people that I talked to were saying, no, I still feel like he's our guy. I still feel like he's going to get things right. It's just going to take some time, but you know, you're, and they went on that excellent winning streak and now you, you felt like they turned the corner. And I think the problem is, is now, you know, that was just a, that was still in that moment where you're trying to get things on the track, right? So Tennessee fans were a lot more understandable. And then it seems like you are able to achieve that. You're competitive with Georgia. The second half was disappointing, but that makes sense. Your, um, you know, you, you compete with Alabama. Had it not been for that late game debacle with, with Jared Garantano trying to go rogue, you make that a very respectable loss, uh, more than, and with a with a chance to win if he doesn't make that mistake. So, you know, Tennessee fans were feeling great because they were beating the teams they were supposed to, and they were being against the teams that they weren't necessarily supposed to beat. Um, and and now you're looking at a situation where they've regressed. They get blown out by Georgia in the second half. They get completely, you know, wiped off the field by Kentucky. Uh, you know, the, the very next week, 
It's just there's there's now concerns, and Tennessee fans no longer say, well, it's, it's getting on the, on the track. That's the problem. You've been on the track, and now you're off the rails. And so it's a matter of do you think Jeremy Pruitt's the guy to get you back on the rails and, and send you in the right direction? And I, I still believe in him. I, I think this is a bump in the road. If you're expecting him to be Nick Saban in Alabama and take that kind of trajectory where it's like 7-6 and six the first year, 10-2 uh, and two in the regular season the next year, um, and then you know from there it's just absolutely taken off and, and you're winning national championships and you're competitive every single year, that's just not realistic for really anybody. Even for Georgia and Kirby Smart, he looked like he was on that path, but you know things have, have fallen off a little bit. But now – you know, there's going to be rocks. Uh, it's going to be a bumpy road along the way. And, Would you say and, there will be bricks? <laughs> no, I'm not willing to go that far. We're not going to brick by brick this. Uh, okay. I would not do that. To, and we've actually talked a lot about Tennessee here. I'm sure Alabama fans don't mind hearing to some degree, but they're you know this is an Alabama podcast. I feel like Tennessee fans would do well to hear a lot of this stuff too. But anyways, uh, that that'll do it. Um, I'm feeling like this game is going to play out how a lot of people expect it to. Uh, I'll be shocked if it doesn't, but crazier things have happened. But uh, is there anything else you want to add to, to wrap things up? No, I was I was really hoping to get a championship heart joke in there too, but it, or, or champion of life. Uh, try, I, want, I was hoping to get one of each in there, but the, the brick one was the only one that came to me naturally. So I'll just <laughs> – I'll just take that and, and live to, to fight another day, I guess. Brett, I got to be honest. We've come a, a long way since the John Mayer references. A very, <laughs> very long way. <laughs> uh, uh, we had a bit come up naturally. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, trying and to fit. For one, it just hasn't happened yet, man. It, it, uh, I, I like that we're moving the slotting phrases in there uh, to, to, to football related coach quotes um i mean look like, I'm, I'm always willing to delve into the nonsense if that's not perfectly clear so if, if anyone wants to ask a question or or suggest something I'm, I'm down i mean we've used a listener email and a listener tweet in in the last two um podcasts so we are yeah. open to your feedback hit us up absolutely all right brett well that's gonna wrap it up for us for the week but we'll get to watch a little bit more college football this weekend, get a little bit better of an idea of where some of these teams are at. And uh, we'll have more to talk about next week with a recap of, of Tennessee. And then after that, is it Mississippi State for Alabama? I don't even know who's the next on the schedule. It's air raid time, man. Yeah, so next next week's podcast, even though uh, Mississippi State's pretty terrible right now, uh, maybe, maybe it'll be fun to talk about. So once again, I always appreciate you hopping on here with me. Uh, you know, I feel like we got some pretty good information out to the listeners, so hopefully they enjoy it. So once again, this has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles.